0: You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So today's going to be really simple. It's going to be a very simple word today. I want to offer something to us, but I want to give us a little bit of a backdrop. So the way the story goes, we're going to be in Exodus 3 for a moment and then Exodus 6. So the people of God, the Israelites, have come through the wilderness of 40 years. After they were rescued by Yahweh, which is God's name revealed to them. After they were rescued by Yahweh from the Egyptian slavery and from making bricks for Pharaoh. Now why does that matter? Because it's important you remember that the slavery, the enslavement that the Israelites were under, the Hebrew people were under, they were the Hebrew people at the time. The enslavement that the Hebrews were under was to make bricks for Pharaoh. They were making bricks for Pharaoh's brick storehouses that was going to store Pharaoh's grain so that Pharaoh could still have a lockdown on the economy, so that Egypt would still be the empire of the world. Are you with me? So it's the typical enslavement narrative, right? It's all about the economy. So Egypt, so Egypt was fearful of the Hebrew people becoming number uh, numerous and being being great, being strong being a larger people, and so he worked them even harder. So their job for 400 years was to make bricks for Pharaoh in this economy of scarcity, in the economy of anxiety, so that he could have bigger storehouses, more storehouses, to store more grain so that he would insure himself as the empire. And so what's happening now is that's all taking place. Forty years of wandering has come. They're on the other side of this narrative. And Moses and the leaders are now retelling the story because we need to know where we come from. Are you with me? We need to know our story. So in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, they're recounting this. It says, Then the Lord said, verse 7 of chapter 3, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. And I know about their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. And to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. Yahweh says, I heard their cries. I know their suffering. Sufferings, and so later on in exodus chapter 6 verse 6 yahweh tells moses to tell his people therefore tell the israelites i am yahweh and i will deliver you from the forced labor of the egyptians and free you from slavery to them i will redeem the, the hebrew word for redeem is literally kinsman; it's to act as a kinsman yahweh is saying i'm gonna act like a kinfolk and I'm going to get you back. That's redeemer. The kinsman redeemer. So I'm going to to buy you back. I'm going to take you on with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. Now, remember, they're rehearsing this story. They've already been delivered, so they're rehearsing this story. And in this experience, the Israelites learn to trust Yahweh as their God and their king and their redeemer as he rescues them from the captivity of Egyptian oppression and slavery they learned yahweh's life they learned an experience of yahweh's power and so now in this exodus story and when you put it together with deuteronomy and leviticus in this story the people of god are now going to learn yahweh's law i want to be real clear with you here they know yahweh's life in their bodies Right, He walked them through the wilderness. He provided for them. He fed them. He cared for them. Cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. They knew Yahweh's life with their experience with their bodies. They knew what it was like to be freed from the enslavement that their bodies felt. But now they needed to align their minds with their bodies. They needed a way to think about Yahweh. So Yahweh gives them the law. And I want to be clear. There's a lot of ideas as to what role the law plays In the Hebrew narrative, one of the roles that the law plays in the Hebrew narrative is to reveal Yahweh's heart to the people. So when Yahweh says, love your neighbor, that reveals something about Yahweh. When Yahweh says, take care of the poor, the immigrant, the widow, and the orphan, that says something about Yahweh's heart. They know Yahweh with their bodies and their experience. They need to know Yahweh with their minds so that their minds and their bodies can align so that they have to have the fullness of experience with Yahweh. Y'all following me? This feels so weird talking to y'all through like a, like a like box did. Do I, is there like a shine? No, there's not like a glow from heaven? Nothing here? Just, no? Okay. Ah. I was hoping it would make me look more holy. But I guess being barefoot in shorts probably kind of kills that, doesn't it? So they have witnessed Yahweh's redemptive work. And it's led to a greater understanding of who Yahweh is. Now they need to know more about what it means for Yahweh to be Lord and King. So the Exodus story is this story of rescue and redemption and restoration and liberation. And it's deeply rooted in the memory of the Hebrew people. So it becomes the lens through which they interpret everything for the rest of their lives. They remember the moment when Yahweh heard their cries, came to them, liberated them from Pharaoh and the Egyptian empire, liberated them from empire and the systems of scarcity and the systems of exclusivism and the systems of anxiety and the system of economy to free them into a life of love that would be guided by the law. And they would then know what it means to be the people of God. Now, Paul, who was a Pharisee, a Jewish leader. He was a political and religious leader. That's who Paul was. I want to be clear with y'all. Pharisees are political religious parties. They're not just religious leaders. When you hear pastors say, oh, they're religious leaders. They're not just religious leaders because to them, religion was law. Law was religion. Law is law. They are Law is politic. They were political religious leaders. Are y'all with me on that? It's important because then we miss things that Jesus does in the gospels. When we don't remember that Pharisees, Sadducees, essenes they were religious political leaders. They enacted the law of Moses which governed the people of God under the oppressive empire or at least the occupation of Rome. It's important that you get that in your heads when you read the word Pharisee and Sadducees. Don't just think religious leaders, they're religious political leaders. Paul was a religious political leader. Matter of fact, such a political religious leader that remember Paul's former life when his name was Saul, remember what he did? He was a terrorist. He was commissioned by his people to find Christians, regardless of what ethnicity they would be. Obviously, they had to be Jewish ethnicity. He couldn't kill a Gentile, couldn't kill a Roman. And he terrorized the early church. Had some put to death, had them arrested. He was, by definition, a terrorist, an extremist radical and he had the power to do so and then he has his experience on the road to Damascus he goes blind and then he can see and he can really see and so Paul this Pharisee of Pharisees studied at the feet of one of the greatest Pharisees of his time now is this Christ follower this church planter who writes these letters to these churches that he helped plant and one of the letters that he wrote was the Colossian letter to the Christians who were living in Colossae and what's important for us to remember about Paul is that in his letters, he sometimes uses Exodus imagery and language to provoke the Christian imagination into a deeper understanding of redemption, restoration, liberation, and hope. Are y'all with me? Come on, y'all with me? I got self esteem problems. I'm barefoot. I'm feeling kind of vulnerable here I'm behind the box. So I need, some, I need some. All right. So it's important that you know that when Paul talks about his letters and he uses Exodus imagery, He's trying to provoke the imagination to a deeper understanding. So when Paul talks about being redeemed, he's not just talking about getting your sins forgiven when you die or getting your sins forgiven now so you get to go to heaven when you die. Paul has a much bigger frame of liberation because he's using Exodus as a paradigm, as a lens through which he's talking about the gospel. And so he uses this imagery from time to time. And you're going to see it in this letter to the Colossians. So I wanted you to know all of that introduction... As we work through just the prayer that Paul offers so you could see how it all shakes out in the hope that maybe you'll have a slightly different view of things. Colossians 1, we'll start in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy our brother, to the saints in Christ. What does he say to the who? To the saints. Does he say to the sinners? Does he say to the struggling? Does he say to the jacked up folk? He doesn't say to the sinners, does he? He says to the who? To the saints. That's our identity. Your identity in Christ is not I'm a sinner. Your identity in Christ is that you are a what? You are a saint. Now we have all sorts of ideas as to what sainthood means. From various other traditions. And they're beautiful expressions. Do not get me wrong. But this is a declaration of identity. That your core being is not Founded and defined by your sin. Your core being is founded and defined by Christ who has liberated you from that identity of sin. Are you with me? It's important. Now, do you still sin? Yes, we still sin. We are the saints that come marching in, stumbling all over ourselves. But our identity is not in our sinfulness, it's in our sanctification. Our saintliness that Christ has given to us. All right. To the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters. Who are faithful brothers and sisters. You hear the word faithful? Notice he doesn't say who's perfect. Notice he doesn't say who is struggling. To the sometimes have it and sometimes not brothers and sisters. He says to the faithful. Here's the thing, beloved. God has never called you to perfection He has called you to faithfulness. There is a difference. See, faithfulness is living a life that follows after Jesus, that when we stumble and we fall, we get up and we right the wrongs of whatever it is has happened as a result of our stumbling and falling. And we look to God, we talk with God, we right the wrongs, and then we keep going, committing never to do that again. Are you with me? That's faithfulness. It's pressing on. It's righting the wrongs, that have come as a result of my fall, or a result of my choice, or a result of my sinfulness, and it's moving on. That is faithfulness. You are called to faithfulness, not perfection. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, let me pause for one quick second. Everything I just said, I believe it's true, obviously I wouldn't say it. But the idea of faithfulness not being perfection, the idea of our identity being in our in Christ, not of our out of Christ life, to me is even more profound when you understand that Paul's writing a letter to a church because they've got problems. Right? You don't get a letter from Paul that's just like, to the saints, y'all are great, doing fantastic, bye. Like that, it doesn't work that way. If you get a letter from an apostle and you're a church, (laughs) you, you got something to say. So he starts off, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Keep reading with me. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. See, there's that language again. And for the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. Everybody say hope. So your hope is reserved for you where? In heaven, in glory. So here's what you got to know. Like there's a house, there's there's a room with your name on the door. Because of Christ, you have a reservation in heaven. And guess what, it can't be canceled. Like there's going to be this great banquet feast, this party in glory. Like that's the way that Jesus seems to talk about it, because I think Jesus liked the party. And there's this great party that's going to happen in heaven. And there's going to be all this food and all this dancing, all this life that's going to happen in glory. And there is a, there's a nameplate at the table with your name on it. And it can't be revoked. It can't be canceled. It is reserved in heaven for you. Now what would happen if we lived our life that way? If we knew that God hasn't called us to perfection, that my identity is rooted in who Christ says I am, and that my life with God begins now and will absolutely never end. Would that create some gratefulness inside of us? Come on. Like, if we really thought that through. So he goes on, and he says, You've already heard about this hope and the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. In other words, he's saying this ain't new. Remember what you know. And he says, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. Everybody say, truly appreciate God's grace. Say it. And that's what it comes down to. Truly appreciate God's grace. Y'all, it's all grace. It's all grace. Do our works matter? Do our behaviors matter? Of course it does. But they flow out of something. They either flow out of a desire to get something that God's already given, or they flow out of a desire of gratefulness and in response to what God has already given. I think it's interesting that Paul says those who truly appreciate God's grace. I think the difference between those of us who live faithfully and following Jesus and those of us who just don't, we just kind of hit and miss, is really it comes down to not a lack of ability and not a lack of strength, not even really a lack of character. I think it's a lack of gratefulness. I think it's a lack of an appreciation of what it is God has actually given. God, like all grace, life with God, it's grace, prayer, grace, praise. It's grace. Being able to love and experience love and to know love in some sort of full, deep, deep way, it's grace. It's all grace. The breath in my lungs, it's grace. The energy in my body, it's grace. The people I get to love, it's grace. It's all grace. It's all God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. It is all God giving us what we could never attain for ourselves. It is grace. And Paul is saying, look, your life, Colossae Christians, as a church, your life as a community is bearing fruit all over the world and it's growing. You have a witness that is going beyond Colossae because of the kind of love you show for people. And I know, Paul said, that you do that because you get it. You get what God has given. It's all grace. And so then Paul's response to this church that has moved beyond existence into significance. is to pray. And this is where I want to land. So he says in verse 9, for this reason also. Since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption. Forgiveness of sins. Paul begins this prayer and he says it's for this reason. It's because you are no longer just an existing church. You have moved into becoming a significant church because you are living out of a sense of gratefulness. All the Christians that make up the church. I need you to remember he's not writing to individual Christians. He's writing to a church. And the church is made up of individual Christians. And so he's saying, your witness as a collective community has gone out so far and so great that I'm just going to continue to pray that it go deeper and deeper and deeper. That you will have greater confidence in what God will continue to do. That having begun a good work in you, God will bring to completion and so he says so for this reason since the day we heard this had to start praying for you we're asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that's paul's prayer for us is that we would be filled in the knowledge of his will with all wisdom and spiritual understanding you can know god's will for your life you can we can also overthink god's will for our life too So let me break something down and just in my point of view. I think there are two aspects of knowing God's will. I think there's one, the will of God that is common to all believers that we find in Scripture. That's a will that's common to all. Like that, like love your neighbor, love your enemy, look out for one another, uh, take care of each other, uh, give praise to God. Like all the common, the common will of God for all of us is there. And then I believe when we're living in that, when we're living in that, and we're walking in line with that because part of God's will is that we be part of a community. So we're walking in community. We're discerning this within community. We begin to discern by the Spirit living in us by the power of God that is in us. All power, he says, according to the glorious might of God that strengthens us, so we know then that it's not our faith that saves us, it's the object of our faith that saves us. Christ is who is saving us, and that gives us deeper faith, and we're walking in community, and we're unpacking the decisions that we need to make, discerning it in community, whether it be with other people that we, that we you know, in, in, in our relationship life, or in our vocational life, or in our next steps in our life and we're moving forward in this one step at a time within community, and we're living in the revealed will of God that is common to all people through the Scriptures, and then God's Holy Spirit through the church, and maybe even also through the Scriptures, and through that small voice inside of us, tells us the way we should go. We know where to go because we start seeing God unfold these steps in our lives. But here's the problem. A lot of times we want God's will for me, 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 and we're not willing to do the part of God's will that's for we. Right, So in other words, we want God, 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 entrust me, let me know which job I should take or which person I should be with or, or what next steps I should take in my life. But we're ignoring the will of God that is common to all people. We aren't even trying to love our enemies. We're not even like trying to love our neighbors. We're not even trying to do good in, in our lives, but we're asking God for the tiny stuff. And it's interesting, why would we expect God to trust us with the, with the small big things in our life if we're not even trustworthy with the other big things in our lives that He's already revealed to all of us? And so we step back, and we look at scriptures, and we see the way of Jesus, and we start walking in the way of Jesus, and we do it within community, and we discover the will of God in our lives as we go. Everybody say, as we go. Discernment happens as we go. You can go, go into a closet, grab your Bible, and pray, and read the Bible until your heart's complete. At some point, you've got to step. Discernment happens as we go. And God's revealed... Revealed will unfolds in our lives. We know the truth from the lies. The knowledge that we have gets practiced and embodied with tangible actions. The knowledge about God that we have has ethical implications and we start living our lives in a way. Well, Paul would say that walks worthy of the Lord. That walks like we are Christians. That's what walk worthy of the Lord means. It doesn't mean like to be worthy, it means... Like, live like a person who follows Jesus. Like, let your hands and feet lead your confession that I am a Christ follower. And he says, bearing fruit in every good work, then the things that our hands touches are blessed. The steps that we take are blessed of God. We're walking in the blessing of God because we're following God through Christ and we're doing it in community. And we're working out our salvation, not working for it. Philippians 1, right, 10 to 12, right? We're working out our salvation, realizing that it's God is working in us to will and do for his good pleasure, and we realize that everything is grace. Beloved, grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Grace requires a response. Love has demands. Love has responsibility. If you say you love me, it's got to look like something. If we say we love God, it's got to look like something. If God says he loves us, it's got to look like something. You know what it looks like for God? A bloodstained cross in an empty tomb, that's what it looks like for God. And he says to us, Paul says, I want to pray that you go in that direction. I want to pray that you go even deeper there. I want to pray that you recognize that you have significance in the kingdom of God. Raise your hand if you're a William and Mary student. Go ahead, everybody raise your hand. Right. So, you're here in Williamsburg, Virginia. For some of you, one more year. Some of you, two years. Some of you, three years. Some of you, four years. Some of you, gonna struggle, be five years. Some of you, gonna struggle even harder, be six years. You're gonna be here. This is where you are, this is home for a season for you. Step into the purposes of God here. Find significance, the significance that God has for you in the kingdom here and now. The neighbors who need to know the love of God now, who need your presence now, your classmates who need you now, you are on mission with God right now. Of all the people and of all the places, this is where you landed. To those of us who live here on a permanent basis. This is where we are now. Even if we're leaving next week or next year, we're thinking about leaving three years from now. This is where we are now. Right now, Paul's prayer for us is that we will find the significance that God has assigned to us in the kingdom now. What did we talk about last week? Christ the shepherd knows us what? By name. He knows you by name. There is a purpose and a place for you now. Find the community of faith Find a church like you were probably some of you are probably still kind of checking other churches out. Find a church family, and walk in life with them. Glean from that. Challenge that church to be faithful. Let that church challenge you to be faithful. Follow Jesus. And be strengthened, Paul says, with all power, according to His glorious might. Okay, now real quick, a nerd moment. So the the Greek word for all that Paul uses there literally translates all. Like it it means all power. Like not like some of the power. Not like a little bit of the power. Not a portion of the power. Not a you have to earn it in order to get it power. But how much power? All power. According to who? His glorious might. Not according even to your might. Do you get that? Like Paul's specific, he's saying, I want you to be strengthened with all of God's power according to God's might. I just, I want you to know the power of God in you. So let me ask you all a question. Was there any day this week that you walked in work or at home or in your neighborhood or in your dorm or in the classrooms or on the campus? Were there any days this week where you recognized, where you remembered with intention I have the power of God in me. Just think about that. Because I've been thinking about that. Like, what if we woke up every day? Like, on our mirrors. Like, somewhere, wherever we go, when we get up and we says, it's just like, I have the power of God in me. How might that change how we live and think about the world that day? I am God's chosen beloved. I am filled with the Spirit of God. I can find strength. I may feel like I'm tired and can't, but the Holy Spirit says I can. I may feel like the day is hard and the day is long and things in life aren't shaken out, but God is in me. I can move from existence into significance and bear fruit in my life. Because, beloved, there are no second-class Christians in the church. You have the power of God. If I gave you 20 bucks, which I won't, but if I did, and you said, thank you, Fred, for the $20, and you put it in your pocket, are you $20 richer? Everybody do this. It's basic math. Right? Like, starting to get concerned. Yeah, you're $20 richer. <clears throat> Does that $20 yield you any experiential, experiential benefit if you don't use it? Does it? No. But are you $20 richer? Yeah, you, you are literally, like, on paper, you like assets, right? $20. Some of y'all still be like $10 because y'all owe people, right? <laughs> like, 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 but at like $20, you are $20 richer, but it means nothing to you in experience in buying power if you don't use it. You have the power of God. The Christian life is learning how to submit ourselves to the powerful presence of God and allowing God to move through us. Otherwise, we're just walking around with salvation in our pocket. That best gets worked out in Community. We learn to forgive in community. We learn to reconcile division in community. We learn the right wrongs of ancestry and heritage and story in community. We learn to heal each other in community. We learn to weep and lament in community. We learn to praise God in community. It best happens in community. And it best happens in a community that's not one of affinity. It best happens in a community of people that if I had my choice, I wouldn't choose to be a part of. But because of Christ, we are at the table together. Works itself out as we are faithful as the people of God, not just as a person of God. And then it says, Paul says, to be strengthened with all endurance, with patience and with joy. And then when we start struggling with the hard things of life, we lean on each other. When we start struggling, we start finding out that that our brother Mike McGee has had his thyroid removed and his lymph nodes removed from his cancer and he is now in recovery after coming through already one bout of cancer, now another bout of cancer. Now we say to Mike, you're not alone. We say to Darnay, you're not alone. And we know those stories and we weep over those stories and then we praise God over those stories. But we do something with our hands and feet to enter into that space so that he and his family aren't alone. And I could go on, I could name names, right? people in our church, Josh and Kristen Blue, who are living through this tragedy time and we can be with each other in that if we are together and if we're willing to move. And when we're willing to move and do that together, we didn't see the power of God at work. Are you with me? Have you ever seen the power of God at work? Right? Like if you've seen God move, you've seen God heal, you've seen God bring life, new life, bring joy. And we do this together because that's what it means to be the people of God. And then when we struggle, there's endurance. When we're tired, there is patience. And when we're starting not to feel satisfied, there's still joy. So if all of that is true, if you and I have the power of God in us, if we are participants in the purposes of God, and each one of us has significant role to play, just as we are, not as we should be, we are living, walking, standing in grace. Then here's the question. Why are so many of us spending our days and hours and weeks reaching for what we already have in Jesus? Like, why is it then we think we can find something better? Like, we're going to find a better rescue. Y'all remember the Israelite? Remember the Hebrews? Remember they were in the wilderness and they were tired of the manna? Remember? Remember there was a couple of times, even when they were standing in the Red Sea, what they tell Moses? Why don't we just go back? Like, we're going to die here. At least we knew what to expect there. Like, that's our tendency. Beloved, do not reach somewhere else for what you already have in Jesus. Learn to live with what you've been given in Jesus. Spend the 20 bucks. Let's not reach somewhere else for what we already have in Christ, our good Shepherd you know what happens when we reach and reach and reach? We're just going to pull a muscle. We're just going to strain ourselves. We're going to exhaust. We're going to hunger for more than what we're already experiencing. We're going to reach for something else. So here's the word today. Two things. Preach the gospel to yourself. Daily, somewhere, somehow. Remember who you are because of whose you are. That You have the power of God. And remember that you're not alone. That You're part of a community of faith. Number two, we need to pray this prayer for each other. Because we have people in our church, people in our lives who struggle to know the goodness of God. And so my challenge to each one of us this week is go to Colossians 1. And pray the prayer, verses 9 through 14, every day for this church. Pray for this church. And then when you're done praying for this church, pray for yourself in this prayer. I'm going to show us how to do that. And then when you're done with that, be still. And whoever God lays on your heart, pray the prayer for them too. This is what I mean. All right, so grab the... grab the. Text, the prayer, Colossians 1 9 14. Here's what I'm saying. So we're going, to, we're going to pray this for WCC, okay? Let's pray it. I'll lead us so you can see what I'm saying here so that we can imitate this together. Father, we're asking that Williamsburg Christian Church would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we as a church family may walk worthy of you, fully pleasing to you. Bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of you. Strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's enabled us to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. You have rescued us from the reign of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son you love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Amen. Pray this prayer for WCC. Pray this prayer for your campus ministry if you're a William & Mary student. Pray this prayer for yourself. Pray this prayer for anybody that God lays on your heart as you pray this prayer. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer for Mike and Darnay. And we're going to pray this prayer for Bob and Catherine. Bob, as he's recovering from COVID, we're going to pray this prayer for them so you can again see how I'm, how I'm trying to guide you here into praying this prayer each day this week. So let's pray this prayer again together. We're going to pray for them. Let's pray. Father, we are asking that Mike and Darnay and the kids, that Bob and Catherine would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that they would walk worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of you. Father, strengthen them with all power According to your glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to you who's enabled them to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. You have rescued them from the reign of darkness and transferred them into the kingdom of the Son you love, in whom they have redemption. Their bodies have redemption, their circumstances have redemption, their hurts have redemption. Their struggles can have redemption. Their sickness can have redemption. And the forgiveness of sins. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Beloved, that's it. This week, every day this week, my encouragement to you is to pray this prayer once for the church, once it, or for your campus ministry, and then once for yourself. And then be still. And whatever names come to your heart, pray that prayer for them. Because that is the Spirit of God asking you to intercede. And you know what I'm confident of? Not a one of you will be able to come back next Sunday and say, I've never had God speak. I've never been moved by God to do anything. You will hear